0: Welcome to the OC Bitches today.
1: Welcome to the OC Bitches. Apparently, I haven't been saying that strong enough, what according to a few people. I don't know. I haven't been owning it, so I'm owning it.
0: Why don't you just Welcome. do it like Carmack
1: way? Okay. Welcome to the OC Bitches. <laughs> this is how it's done in Orange County.
0: Yep. Every episode, yeah. that's how you're going to have to start <laughs> it from now on. Thank you for that. Okay. Appreciate it. <laughs> How are uh, you? Other other than uh, not delivering a a punchful, <laughs> punchful is that a word? I mean, I don't know, but we.
1: <laughs> I'm punchy. Well, yes, okay. I think I think you're pretty famous for making up words. Clawfish. <laughs> punchful. <laughs> clawfish.
0: yep. And mm-hmm. the is actually I'm... today, my clawfish is clearly a clawfish because I'm packing for a trip and I have clothing hanging in the background. Oh my
1: gosh, what a cute dress! <laughs> oh, thanks. Who's the designer?
0: Actually, you know what. That is a fancy one. That but yeah, it's a Dolce and Gabbana, mm-hmm. but I got it at TJ Maxx. So high end, low end. Oh my!
1: Are you? I I need some shopping tips. I, I mean, yeah, you know where to go, or you oh, just yeah. happen to say I'm going to check into t- TJ and see well, what's, there's certain what's up.
0: TJ's that have fun sections that
1: have some designer clothing.
0: I'm a true Ista.
1: <laughs> I never knew that. Good yeah. to know.
0: Mm-hmm. Runway today section. we
1: are super super excited, um, and well. Let's just invite our guest in. Let's do it. Hey. hey! Hi! Hi! It is so great to see your face.
2: Hi,
1: so everyone. Crazy. This is Norman Buckley, and I have an intro that um, I'd like to share with our guests, our guests, or with our listeners about our guest. Our guest today is the one and only Norman Buckley. He is a passionate, multi-talented filmmaker, director, producer, and editor. He. He first began as an assistant editor on three Oscar-nominated films, Tender Mercy's Silkwood and Places in the, ha- in the Heart. He was our beloved editor for the OC pilot and 30 episodes after and then became our beloved director, which means he is responsible for many iconic moments on the OC, including music choices and the epic moment at the end of this ep. He went on to direct a few shows you may have heard of, Pretty Little Liars, Gossip Girl, Charm Chuck, Heart of Dixie, keeping it in the family. <laughs> and that is only naming a few. He's currently the co executive and directing producer of Netflix's Sweet Magnolias. And we are honored to have him here. Welcome, Norman.
2: Woo-hoo! Thanks. Hey. It's so nice to be with you guys. I'm sorry we couldn't do it sooner. I was. Um... Really appreciative that you guys wanted to have me on your podcast, which I've listened to and Aww. is so much fun. <laughs> it's uh, such a trip down memory lane.
0: Oh yeah! Aw, thanks, Norman. We're
1: so happy you're here. Thank you for making oh, a time
0: to come and talk oh, to yeah. us.
2: No, it's fun.
1: <sighs> when I when I was preparing for this, um, I just kept thinking about the fact that you know writers write a script. And then you guys prepare for the show and actors learn their lines. We go on set, the grips grip, the electric's electric and everything's shot. And then it's all handed to you in post-production and you put it together in this beautiful package, little bow. And you have, you are, you've contributed to so many moments of this show that I'm so excited to deep dive into that today. Oh,
2: well, you know, it was such a, it was such an important part of, my life, uh, it was life-changing truly because I did, um, uh, start as an editor and then I transitioned to directing, um, on the OC and that's now what I've been doing for the last 18 years. So it's, uh, it, it was a real pivotal point for me to work on the show.
1: You've been pretty busy this past um, 18 years. Uh, Well, (laughs)
2: it's pretty crazy. It, it, you know, it kind of took off. I, I, uh, uh, I started directing in the second season of The O.C., and then I directed more in the third season than I was only directing in the uh, fourth season. I don't know if you guys remember this, but I directed um, second unit on the on the series finale, and I directed both of you out of the show, I think. I directed <laughs> the scenes that were your last scenes for both no of way. you. I'm pretty sure about that. Yeah, Ian, Ian Toynton was the director, but there was so much in that finale that they brought me in because they were doing um, uh, a double unit. So, I think I directed both of your last scenes on the show, if oh, I'm oh not mistaken. God. Yeah. Well, so. that's really cool. I'm, I'm really disappointed that neither of you remembers that.
3: But that's
0: okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, Mindy so. can attest that I don't remember anything. So, please don't take offense to it. I really I didn't even know, like, I didn't know there's some characters that die in it. Like, I was like, what happened? So. <laughs> <laughs> Well,
2: it's so funny to go back and watch it again. I watched uh, the episode we're talking about today or watched it the other night. And I was like, oh, wow, this show really holds up. It's really (laughs) fun to watch. You know, it's uh, it's been a long time and I've forgotten about a lot of it, but I really enjoyed it. And I thought the writing was so sharp. And I actually was very happy with my editing work in this particular episode. (laughs) I thought, Or wouldn't do it any different, which is Uh. a really great thing to to feel as you're looking at something, you know. I thought it was really elegant, actually. I I enjoyed this episode a lot, which Michael Fresco directed. And I was so fortunate in the sense that I worked with some of these guys like Patrick Norris and Ian Toynton and Michael Fresco and Michael Lang Mm -hmm. and Tony Warmby, And all of them were so generous with me in terms of mentoring me. To prepare to direct, and and I owe such a great debt of gratitude. I just thought this this episode was really elegantly directed by Michael Fresco, and and uh, I remember working on it with him. And so many of the of the shots are designed so beautifully. There's just, mm-hmm. just these beautiful handoffs, and uh, I I was impressed with with how. Uh, like I said, it was just it held up really well. It was a really <laughs> fun episode to watch. So it, it didn't feel like homework. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, that's good. We had a lot of really just kind directors, too. And I yeah, think that really absolutely. was fortunate. Just very cool, kind, talented, yourself included, of course. And we were very fortunate in that way. Um, I know we're talking about the episode today. I'm going to read the synopsis just so people know what we're talking about with all of the elegant editing and (laughs) everything else along with it. It's The Countdown, which is the New Year's Eve episode where New Year's Eve looms and Ryan blows it when Marissa says those three little words and he can't say it back. She heads to Oliver's penthouse for a New Year's Eve party and when Ryan realizes he should go too, he gets locked in the pool house thanks to Seth's aunt Haley, who came to town and then used the Cohen's house to throw an out of control party. Sandy and Kirsten accidentally attend a swingers party and contemplate staying.
1: That is the <laughs> <sense. laughs> I thought there was so much humor in this episode. It was yeah. really light. It just when it was c- could have been because the, the last episode there was some a little bit of drama with um, Marissa and Ryan, but it was very light and fun.
0: I agree. It was
2: light and fun, and uh, there, the one big thing that I question, though, is that Haley locks them into the pool house. What kind of pool house would have a lock on the outside? That that part was a. Um, a little puzzling to me. <laughs> <And> Rich, <isn't laughs> there was a
1: couple. There was a couple of puzzling like, things. Yeah,
2: hmm.
1: <laughs> Have a
2: lock on the outside, so they lock Ryan in at night. I guess you
0: know, to, <laughs> they probably no. Kirsten had those put on when they uh, accepted Ryan into the family. He <laughs> can lock away.
1: <laughs> but but bef- before we get too much into the episode, I just there's a few things that I know about you um, and your origins with the OC that you started on Fastlane right with McGee, yes, and um, that's how you ended up coming to the OC and um also one of the other things that I've come to understand at one point I asked Rachel about a music choice um and she asked Josh about it and he said I think that was Norman's idea and I realized how much editors have an influence on the music you also introduced Alex Patsavas to Josh is that true
2: yes uh I'd worked with Alex on a couple of uh, independent films and um
1: our music supervisor. I thought,
2: yeah. I thought her her musical taste was very much in sync with Josh's. We were initially, you know, all looking for music for various scenes, and I just suggested that he meet with her because I thought that uh, she definitely had an aesthetic that I thought he would respond to, and um, she um, she would provide us uh, every uh, week these uh, remarkable CDs full of music. And, and they were usually bands that hadn't even broken yet. So it was uh, a great process of discovering new bands and new music. And, and um, she introduced me to Imogene Heap. There's just a lot of music that, I, that I've grown to really love over the years. I still listen to some of these things. They're still on my, on my playlist. Uh, occasionally, an OC playlist will pop up. And, <laughs> and uh, I still really enjoy a lot of the music from that period of time. But, yeah, it was an exciting process because of the fact that uh, uh, we were given pretty much free reign. Uh, Matt Ramsey and I used to fight over songs. You know, we'd find (laughs) some really great song and then we'd get into these duels about who was going to be able to use it and whose episode. Uh, Did you win? uh, (laughs) No, uh, frequently I did not (laughs) because... uh, uh, matt would uh, really make the case to josh that it would play better in his episode <laughs> than uh, mine so there were a lot there were there were some times where i was uh um, stymied stymied by uh by matt the the speed with which matt made it to josh and uh, claimed certain songs you know
1: i'm uh, interested so, in that process in that so it are does alex find music get them approved somehow and then you have a list that you you as an editor can listen to and just have it in your in your library well she just
2: constantly was replenishing our musical library so we Uh we would get these cds from her and then we would just put the music into the avid and then we would have it uh there was something that we started doing on the show i I don't remember it ever being done on another show before. Perhaps it was, but I feel that we kind of broke ground in this area in the sense that she would also get us the instrumental tracks of various songs so that we'd actually integrate the instrumental tracks into the scenes in such a way that you would build build that as part of the score. And I don't remember it ever being done on a television series before the OC. I like to claim it anyway, because it was a real... (laughs) It was a a real elegant way of of keeping the motifs from the various songs alive throughout an episode. And Mm -hmm. so, for instance, you'd hear a little bit of the song, you'd hear a little bit more of the song at another point, and then then you'd build into the song later. And then that was something that we continued to do on Gossip Girl when I went on to Gossip Girl and worked on that show. I, I, I worked on The O.C., and then I started directing on both Chuck and Gossip Girl and then later went on to Heart of Dixie for uh, one episode. I, I kind of branched out from in, into the Josh Schwartz, Stephanie Savage universe. Uh, and, 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 and Lila Gersten, who did Heart of Dixie, was part of the, the um, uh, OC writing staff mm-hmm. and I think wrote a couple of the episodes that I directed. So uh, it was a wonderful way to kind of uh, um, build a career under the auspices of of my patrons, and uh, they they really took care of me. But that th- it was great to see just a lot of the things that we experimented and tried on the OC kind of grow into those other shows as well. So I had I had um, a great relationship with Stephanie Savage because of Fastlane. I'd worked with um, McGee on Fastlane, and McGee originally was going to direct the OC. That mm-hmm. in early in the prep process, that was the intent was that he was going to. Um, um, be the director of the OC as well. And, and, uh, they brought me in to meet with Josh, uh, to edit the pilot. And then McGee left the project and they just told Doug Lyman, well, this is the guy you're using. Cause I'd already been hired to, to uh, be the editor. And I'll never forget the uh, first time I cut a scene, uh, that I showed to Doug Lyman was the, um, was the uh, carjacking at the top of the of, of the pilot, uh-huh. and and I showed it to him, and he looked at it, and he said, "That's the worst thing I've ever seen. I can't <gasps> remember ever seeing a scene that was cut as badly. I don't even know what to say about it. It's so bad."
0: Oh my god! And I
2: and and I sat there and I thought, "Okay, well, I know that I'm a good editor, so I'm just going to let that comment go, and I'll just show him another scene." And then I showed him the scene of um, of you, Rachel, entering the party at the beach house,
0: yeah.
2: uh, coming down the driveway at the beach house. And he said that scene is perfect don't touch a frame of it it's 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 perfect just the way it is and so i thought okay this is a guy who's going to tell me what he thinks completely uncensored (laughs) completely without any filter i will just always know exactly what he thinks so it made it really easy to work with him i i I, uh edited the pilot with him and then also the first episode he directed that Mm -hmm. as well and I always knew if he liked something or if he didn't like something right away because he would tell me. Yeah, But uh, no, I'll, I'll never forget Doug. that.
0: Yes, that's
2: for sure. <laughs> but, it was, but it was great. It was great because it was a, it was a situation where I knew exactly where, where he stood in relationship to what I was showing him. So I was able to um, very quickly make whatever adjustments that he wanted.
0: You know, my favorite thing to ask are, you know, edit, editors or you in particular, is who wound up on the cutting room floor the most?
1: <laughs> we the asked that to
0: Matt. Yeah. We did. <laughs> mm. uh, I don't. No filter, I Norman.
2: Don't remember, I don't remember there being those kinds of issues because everybody was very good. I think that the hardest thing for me was that we had to cut the episodes to a very specific time. Any t- any network television show with commercials has to be cut to I don't know what it is
1: forty two like minutes.
2: Yeah. Something like that, 42 minutes and 35 seconds. or it's, mm-hmm. some, it's some very specific number. And I do remember that there were times where I would feel very frustrated that we were losing certain grace notes, certain things where a moment just might breathe because we just had to get it down to that specific time. And it's one of the things that I really enjoy about working. The show I'm working on right now is for Netflix where we don't have those commercial breaks that we're trying to, Mm -hmm. to cut the material to. So there's a little bit more freedom in terms of crafting a moment so that it really plays beautifully as opposed to it's got to fit this pocket. And I do remember one episode in particular where there was a really beautiful exchange between um, Ben and Misha. And I just hated losing it because I thought it was just so uh, wonderfully played and, in. um, I can't remember that. I mean, I would I would recognize the episode if I if I um, uh, saw a list of the episodes. So I'll, I'll, I'll get that for you. But there was a really beautiful moment that was back and forth between. It was all it was all subtext and it, it just played so beautifully and I had to cut it out. And I, I was very, very unhappy about Aww. that. <laughs> I really um, uh, enjoyed the um, moments where. Uh, there was subtext where there was where I mean as as clever and as wonderful as the dialogue was one of the things I love about the show too is it's very visual and there would often be these music montages where you would see characters going from place to place I remember one in one of my episodes where it was just touching in on everybody at the end of the show and uh played really beautifully over this song so it was that kind of moment that we had to lose which i was really disappointed about because it was so well done i
1: remember going through the production offices in the time that you said melinda come in here and you just put together the uh luke coming to julie's door while she's listening to bob seeger says what we played um who would you do what was the game or who would you if, you if you could? And he goes on to explain you were the coolest mom and you always won. And Julie says, I beat Kiki or Kirsten. And he says, Julie, you're a total milf. And she takes a, just a sip of wine and you were just so tickled and we all giggled. And there's a bunch of people actually in the room looking at the scene. And then they ended up making us cut the MILF line <laughs> because yeah. I think it was one of the first times they used that word. But, there uh, were a lot of things that
2: came down <laughs> from the network. The network notes are always rough. I was very lucky. I feel that uh, it, it's, it remains for me one of the great creative experiences of my life because I was I was uh, uh, involved at the pilot stage, and I ended up directing six episodes over the run of the of the series. I, I edited I don't know how many. And then, as I said, I uh, directed Second Unit on the, the series finale. So I was with it from the very, very beginning to the very end. And I was um, uh, just very appreciative of how much, um, involvement they let me as an editor have in the show. I I will always be grateful to Josh and Stephanie for that because it was a very fertile period of time. I mean, there were you know we were shooting down in Manhattan Beach and I lived in Hollywood and and uh, there were nights where I would drive home and you know that was a long drive and mm-hmm. and Josh and I would be on the phone all the way from uh, the, <laughs> the time I left um, uh, Manhattan Beach to when I got home, just trying to figure out how we could make the show better and better and. And uh, I really missed that uh, collaboration with those guys because it was it was quite extraordinary. And uh, they would spend a lot of time in the editing room with me, and I would spend a lot of time on the set with the various directors. And I just feel that it was such a creatively wonderful time for me from the very beginning all the way through. And uh, I miss those days. I was really disappointed when the show was was canceled after only four seasons because I would certainly have liked it to have gone another couple.
1: Right. I, I, me too. I've, I've been honest about that. I would have liked it to continue, (laughs) but, um, I was
2: looking. I know know some, I know some people are ready to move on to greener (laughs) pastures. uh,
0: I would have stayed. Hey, I would still be in the OC right now if I had given, was given the opportunity, you know, Bluebell and Orange County.
2: (laughs) It was just definitely a, a, a really wonderful period of time. And I, and I do think, you look, the show had uh, hills and valleys, but I, I always just enjoyed the process of trying to figure it out, just trying mm-hmm. to figure out how to to. The thing that I love about the show more than any other is the mix of comedy and pathos. Like it moves really deftly back and forth between being very, very funny and very, very sad and melancholy at the same time. In, in a way that I just think really speaks to a lot of people's experience of growing up. And I remember Stephanie Savage saying something one time where, that, that's always stayed with me because the, the, the teen drama has now kind of become my, my niche. I've moved from <laughs> teen show to teen show to teen show to teen show. Uh, and I have a real facility at that. One of the things that she said that just really stayed with me uh, throughout my career is that everybody can relate to this show. Some people won't be able to relate to a show like Mad Men because it's too sophisticated or it has, you know, um, uh, some people won't be able to relate to um, Game of Thrones because they're not into fantasy. But everybody knows what it's like to be an adolescent. Everybody knows what it's like to be a teenager and be dealing with your parents. And I think that was the success of the show. And and, and that's why it still resonates now. I'm surprised at the number of people who are just finding it and, and talking about it to me because I, I have a fairly large social media following because of all the various mm-hmm. shows I work on. And a lot of these these um, kids who have been fans of something like Pretty Little Liars are just now discovering The O.C. on, on streaming. And it's very fun to see them kind of uh, discover the show and find that it still really resonates with them as well.
1: You know, the opening of this particular episode speaks to exactly what you were just saying. It was, um, you know, as Marissa and Ryan uh, start... Or, or as the first opening um, scenes here they mm-hmm. they have this kind of she's talking about something that was pretty dramatic in the last episode where she was drunk and he got scared and but they're kind of making light of it and it's this very then that's where he says um, uh, and then she's shoplifted she got drunk and she almost got arrested for drunk driving and and but somehow they make it humorous and uh, it's not no, it's not the normal opening for an episode, do you agree? Oh, usually they were in the Cohen kitchen.
2: Yeah, I like the fact that it's very sweet and sincere and then it, mm-hmm. it's kind of turned on its head when he says thank you. I, <laughs> right. I love the, uh, uh, the the playfulness of that and even the music changes. you know it's the there's this uh, this musical theme that was kind of the Ryan and Marissa theme throughout the run of the show. and then all of a sudden it turned on a dime and and became a little more goofy. Um, but I, I also just think it sets the tone for the episode. The whole episode is about what is the nature of of love and uh, how hard it is to express that. And I think it plays out. I think it's a beautifully crafted episode. I I, I wrote Josh a note the other night after I watched it and just said, "Gosh, it's so beautifully written," uh, because it's it's really about. Uh, the nature of of um, of love mm-hmm. and, and the, the the Kirsten and Sandy stuff and really deciding whether or not they want to go outside of their relationship, which I don't believe that either one of them ever really wanted to do, as much as they were just trying to to um, uh, feel some excitement on New Year's Eve. Uh, the the uh, Seth and Summer and Anna triangle, uh, the, the the disconnect between uh, um, Marissa and Ryan, all of it is is basically circling around that initial idea that's presented in the first few moments of the show. So I love that uh, the structure of the episode, I just think is so excellent. And even the stuff with Haley, you know, the I love the way that she through the, the body of the episode is presented as kind of a, a uh, um, mischievous uh, uh, comic character, but then she has the really serious scene with with Kirsten towards the end, where you right. realize that her life is is a little bit devoid of of, um, uh, of something. So I, I I love the way that the episode began and, and started with that that uh, discussion about what it means to say "I love you" to another person, and I, I thought that both uh, Misha and Ben played it beautifully. Mm-hmm. I, I love the 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 exchange between them it felt very real.
0: The brutal thank you in response just
2: <laughs> and then and then the callback to it at the very end uh-huh. of the episode when she it's says really it cute. at the very end I just I love the way that the episode comes full circle. Mm-hmm. it's it's a wonderful it's a wonderful script.
0: Yeah I mean this whole episode was just I loved watching it and <laughs> I cried. I may have teared, you too. tears. You too. Yeah, <laughs> Rachel well, cries do, a lot. <laughs> I do cry a lot, but
1: <laughs> but that's sweet. I, I,
2: I do think that final uh, five minutes of it is quite is quite wonderful, just in terms of the the use of uh, the high speed uh, camera, the the slow motion rather. Uh, the I, I, the touching in on each one of the characters, I, I thought it really built to this emotional crescendo. It's one of the reasons why, when you gave me the list of uh, episodes that we that we could do on a podcast, it's one of the reasons I I picked this is because I love the way that this episode
0: ends.
1: Well, yeah. that's a very iconic um, sequence that you put together with Ben running in there. Yeah, the slow to Marissa,
0: I, I got
2: I got some really great sequences to cut over the run of the show. I did this one, which which is tended to show up a lot on fan favorite lists, mm-hmm. and then I also did the um, the the shooting of Trey at the end of uh-huh. season two, oh, man. <laughs> which That's is like one. a which, which is a huge sequence, you know, which has lived in infamy since then on and, SNL. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, dear sisters, uh, I. I, I liked the fact that I got some really great sequences to cut. And, and, and as I said, it, it feels fun to look back on it and go, well, there's not much I would do different there. I think it does play really well. There's, um, <laughs> there's things there, it, it's always hard when, when you're, um, uh, like I teach a class at UCLA sometimes, and I showed a sequence of a movie that i cut, uh, which I re- had remembered as being really well edited. And then I showed it in class. And as I was watching it, I was like, oh, my God, this is terrible. (laughs) Oh, my God, it's so embarrassing that I'm showing this to students. And the lights came up at the end. And one of my students raised her hand. And and I said, yes. And she said, "Uh, if you had it to do over again, would you do anything differently? And I said, just everything. I would just do the whole thing differently now. It was so funny because in my mind, it was so well edited. And then when I saw it, it was just so overcut. But I didn't feel that way about this show. I felt really good about the... The way that it it was edited and I loved the way the music was used throughout. I loved all the performances. I thought that everything about it was working very, very well.
0: You know, going through this whole episode, there's so much in it. And like you said, Mindy, it was fun and it was light and everything. And there's so many references that date the show. <laughs> yes. <laughs>
2: you think? Oh my gosh.
0: Like Friendster. Friendster. How about Carson Daly and T R L? I mean, <laughs> I don't even know if people know what TRL is anymore, but it was such a big part of that time. Like, I remember going on TRL, and it was like the thing, you know? And like, and, I and also Russell
2: Crowe. Russell, right. Russell Crowe references, yeah. And everybody said. At the, at, at the time, everybody was saying that Ben McKenzie looked like a young Russell Crowe, right. which was <laughs> what that that – I think this might have been one of the first episodes that was really – uh commenting on its on the show itself you know yeah it it developed that yeah that that made a humor uh, yeah yeah yeah
1: no but but um I think Ben has aged a little bit better than Russell Crowe now so (laughs) no more comparing Oh, but you know what I found out? I couldn't help but say, Amanda Rigetti was a great, um, you know, she's Haley. She was a great um, addition to the show. I thought it was it was a character as I was watching. I could relate. We've all had those moments where it's like, I just want to have fun. And I thought it was fantastic what, what Kirsten said. You just want to have fun. How's that working out for you? And there have been moments in our lives where we're like, I just want to have fun. And then the fun just, you know, gets a little bit I mean, too tiring. That was a
0: rager that, that she threw.
1: right right no and it's um i for some reason i really related to her but did you know she was only 20 what and in this episode no yes she was born in 83
0: she's younger than me
1: yes
2: she felt she felt very sophisticated Mm -hmm. like later when she became tate's love interest i had no problem with that right uh, because it felt that felt to me like something I thought I would totally buy it but I remember Bob Dalearena saying she's too young to be Tate's love interest in the show and I was like really I, I kind of really enjoyed that whole storyline but um I think We've- that she 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 had a more sophisticated Vibe, she did not feel like 20 years old. No, I no. cannot she believe didn't. she was
1: younger than me. I'm my yeah, I, w- mom. I was aware she was younger, and then I was like, I'm gonna check this last night. It was like, and I did at first, I, it looked like 19, and my jaw dropped, and then I was like, oh my goodness,
0: I
2: enjoyed the whole storyline with um Jimmy and uh, Haley. I thought that it worked, but. I I remember there being some debate about whether that was really an appropriate connection or not, or whether whether Haley should just be more in the world of the kids rather than the adults. Right. You know, one of the uh, things I was thinking about, though, Rachel, is is I remember um, I don't know if you remember this, but when I the first episode I directed, it was like they threw me in the deep end (laughs) and they. They decided, because I'd complained about so many things to Josh, I was just like, you know, why isn't it more like this? Why is it more like that? And so it was just like, they gave me everything that they could give me in terms of, of of a challenge for the first episode. And I don't know if you remember this, but there was a big auction sequence in the first episode I directed. And I decided there wasn't enough beats of the auction. And so I just had you and Misha start doing things up on the stage, like presenting various things. And Holding up various things, and none of it was scripted. And you guys were looking at me like you thought I was completely crazy. And I remember even even Adam at one point acted like he, he, he thought this was just going to be a giant clusterfuck. You know, and he was just, he was, everybody didn't know what I had in mind, but I had it so well edited in my head. I knew exactly what I was cutting from and what I was going to be cutting to. So I was just having people do these various things. How funny. And I've, I've since gotten much better as a director now. I don't throw people into the deep end like that and just ask them to swim with me but uh I enjoy it doing was that. Uh, <laughs> it, it was fun and so i I got great stuff because you and and Misha were up on the stage <laughs> basically just holding up random objects for this auction because I just wanted to create this little montage of this of this auction, but I just remember you having such a puzzled look on your face the whole time. You were just like, I don't really know what's happening, but okay, I will go along with it. You don't remember
0: that? I don't, but again, don't take offense.
2: (laughs) Well, I just remember by the time I started directing, I was so well-versed in what worked on the show and what didn't. And I I remember arguing with an AD one day because I was saying, no, no, I want people Moving I want him moving this direction, I want all the background extras moving that direction, and he said that doesn't make any sense. I was like it doesn't have to make sense to you. just do what I say <laughs> because I know what it's going to look like you know so there was a lot of that. I had to learn to be a little more articulate with uh, with the crew and with the cast about <laughs> why I was doing things, but that first episode that I did I was just I, I just was trying to get the cuts I wanted, and I wasn't even explaining to Adam there was this whole big thing in my episode about the um uh, uh, they'd stolen the Risky Business egg from this uh, auction. tray. had stolen it, and, and, and uh, Ryan and Adam had to go and get it back. And so I was duplicating all of these shots from Risky Business, and <laughs> I didn't explain that to anybody. I was just doing it. I was just saying, just fall down on your elbows and catch this crystal egg, not realizing <laughs> that I was trying to duplicate a shot from Risky Business. But there was a lot of that sort of thing that I – I, you know, the OC was like a, a school for me. It was it was yeah. like an opportunity for me to learn on the job with a group of people that that really cared for me and 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 were willing to go down whatever uh, wormhole I was wanting to take them down. Another thing that happened on the very first episode that I directed, the very first day, I was just standing there on the set and I looked over at Ian Toynton and he was like. Say action. Because I just <laughs> forgot to say action. I was just I was just watching, just waiting for things to just start. And I was so nervous that I broke into a flop sweat. I mean, I was <laughs> it was just pouring off of me. I was sweating and my shirt had gotten so wet that it was just clinging to my body. And I remember thinking, this is so humiliating, and there's nothing I can do about it. Because if I run and hide, then it's all over. I'll never direct again. You know, so I just have to stand here. In my humiliation and just weather it, but everybody was so kind to me and nobody made fun of me, so it was wow. a, it was a, a nice place to uh, begin my directing career because I felt very loved and protected Aww. by the, the cast and the crew.
0: I think but you have did, such an advantage. Mostly. Go ahead. Sorry. No, no. Oh. i was saying. I think we all felt that way, and then I said, "Oh, wait, mostly." <laughs>
2: <laughs> Mostly, it was it was, but... it was such a family. It was such a nice it was such a nice group of people and such a family. And I did really enjoy it when people came up into the editing room and and would spend time up there. And I love the fact that that was something that that Josh and Stephanie actually encouraged. They were fine with actors coming up and hanging out and seeing scenes and and watching things. It it really created the space for us to do our best work in the edi- editorial department as well because we. We uh, knew everyone, and I I, uh, I really do miss that that experience. Uh, you
0: know what I? See. I don't miss editing very much, but <laughs> I miss that kind
2: of part of the yeah yeah. Norman,
0: I told Josh we were recording with you, and he said say hi, and then he also just said dice at the end of the episode. One of my favorite music drops we ever did.
2: Yeah, it really was. Yeah, and that shows. Like I said, it shows up a lot on on t- ten best moments from the OC. So I yeah, that I feel song. Good about I mean, that. I,
0: that's where I cried. Yeah. I even made a note of it. Like roll the dice, which you know I didn't yeah. know the actual title. But
4: and, you,
1: uh, you have—I
2: feel pretty yeah. certain that that was scripted. Josh would oftentimes script some of these songs into the show, and I feel pretty certain that that was one that he scripted into the show. Well, con- considering um,
0: considering he claims that it's one of his favorite ever, I'm sure he will take the credit. For yeah,
2: it. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was that was one of the things that he was really brilliant at was finding a musical analog to the, the nature of a scene. So the pilot was full of musical um, uh, references that we did use. And and uh, he oftentimes would find songs on those uh, CDs by Alex and he would uh, flag certain songs for certain scenes. So I would, I would say, I want to use this here. And he'd say, no, no, I'm saving that. Mm-hmm. For instance, hide yeah. and seek. Yeah. He knew as soon as he heard the song hide and seek that he was going to use it for Caleb's funeral and then for the end of the episode where where Marissa shoots uh, Trey. Right. So uh, that, that was something that he held back for the whole season, knowing that he was going to use it at the end of the season. But, but he, had a, he had a great ear for, for um, how a song would play against the scene. I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think he told me one time that he would even write scenes listening to music so mm-hmm. that um, I believe that's um, it would get him into the spirit of certain scenes.
1: I think that we can't talk about this episode without acknowledging um, Oliver. And uh, he, one of the most beloved characters ever on the OC, <sighs> because he only showed up at the end of Christmaska, right in the therapist's office, and then now he's here. And I thought it was such a great storyline. Um, I on I'm going I'm going to be honest. I like the storyline, and I think Taylor Handy did a ha, did a great job.
0: Well, clearly he did. I he's think everyone, he did a great job yeah, too. Can't yeah. stand him. So that was you know, yeah.
1: Right. <laughs>
2: it's one of those things <laughs> too, that, um, I, I love the way that he's talking about the girlfriend that turns mm-hmm. out to be, I guess she's an imaginary girlfriend. Is that not yeah, correct? I, I can't so. remember where the story, I know, I know that he goes crazy in the subsequent episodes, but I was trying to, uh, remember the, the girlfriend that he's describing as yeah, like an think imaginary it's, yeah. girlfriend. Natalie, imaginary. she's
1: the concierge at the, at the <laughs> hotel. Yeah. Is yeah. she? Yeah, she ends up being the concierge at the hotel. Oh, okay. So she is
0: well. Okay, yes. well, I, for, I forgot for that part. <laughs> yeah.
1: There was a great scene um, at the party, and I just wanted for um, when Taylor or Oliver and Marissa are talking, and he's talking about Natalie. Misha was set in a light that was so stunningly beautiful. Yeah, she
0: looked so beautiful,
1: like old Hollywood. Not a lot of actresses can handle that light. But it was. I had to stop on it and frame it, freeze frame it. It was so beautiful. Do you remember that scene that yeah. I'm talking about?
2: Yes, I do. And and she was lit really beautifully. But she also was just an extraordinary. I think still is. I mean, I I I, I love Misha. I have I have great affection for Misha. And I I think that she um, definitely had a movie star face. You know, she just had one of those faces that's just like you couldn't get enough of it yeah. on the show. It's mm-hmm. just like. Just seeing her um, uh, in in those shots where she's just sitting there looking. That's that's why I say that when you ask me about uh, what was cut out, it pained me to cut out scenes of her that were just beautifully lit because she yeah. is like an old movie star. Oh, she's yeah. just got that face. She looks like that. Um, she looks like something out of the nineteen thirties almost. Yes, you know, absolutely. Where yeah, just the, the lighting is all cool. of the planes of her face. Just just there. There's somebody. Um, a director uh, I worked for as an editor uh, once told me, he said the difference between film actors and stage actors is that you can be a really, really good actor, but to be a great film actor, your, your face has to reflect the light. And some people's face absorbs the light. And so you could be a really great actor, but if you don't have, if, if the planes of your face are not just so that it reflects the light back, you're not going to make it as a film actor. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of truth in that. And and I think it's one of the reasons why you see certain people who are, are just great to look at having these gigantic careers, uh, even if there are some people who maybe uh, like, uh, for instance, Julia Roberts is one of those people, you know, it's just, it's just like her face just reflects the light right back mm-hmm. to you. And uh, Misha is very much that way. I agree with you about the the scenes of her at that party are wonderful.
1: As we um, gain experience, I know if the lighting's going to be good or not for myself. (laughs) A lot of actresses Mm -hmm. know that. It's like, oh, I need Mm -hmm. my china ball. Or I need Mm -hmm. light coming this way. Or this isn't great light, you know, especially like outdoors. But Misha didn't matter. There are just some people that it doesn't matter what the lighting is. She's always going to shine. But, I mean, that's...
2: I think it's one of the things, too, and I'm sure that you know what I'm talking about, when there are some actors that just don't make it in the business because they don't understand the importance of hitting marks. <laughs> and I'm sure you've been in scenes with with uh, actors who are suddenly in your light. and who, I, I move I, them. I, I
1: do this to them.
0: <laughs> no,
2: there's I remember going like- on tape-
0: Start to move your head just to like find the light, and you're like, "Wait, why are you all the way over there?"
2: <laughs> I remember taking this one actor by the shoulders, and I said, Do "You see that?" And I just move him back and forth. I said, Do "You see that? That's that's you. You're you're putting that shadow on her face right now. Uh, the, it's it's the difference between somebody who really has a facility for being able to work on mm-hmm. a." film or a television show is to be able to master not only the, 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 the acting and the ability to be authentic in front of the camera, but to, but to hit the marks. The technical aspect. Yeah.
0: No, it's right. absolutely.
2: And to, and to hold those two things, which are coming from two different hemispheres of your brain right. at the same time. And I think that people don't understand just how hard it is to be an actor because that's, that's, the key that's the ticket is to be able to master that technical side but to do it in such a way that it doesn't interfere with you just being completely authentic and unself-conscious in front of the camera right. it's a it's a huge feat and people don't understand how hard it is
1: long form television lends itself to just doing it over and over again and we become proficient in that technical aspect it trains um, you sometimes yeah, it, it would be the younger actors, for instance, like um, Love Her to Death. Willa Holland would um, mm-hmm. when she first started. There were many times where I just would just shift her because I could mm-hmm. see if I can't see if I can't see the camera over her shoulder, or if her head's in front of the frame, or there's I could tell that she's in my light. It's just a little nudge, and that just comes with experience. So young actors won't all won't know that until they do it. Right. And television mm-hmm. is a great great training ground. I also it did really soaps. Yeah. you have soaps are like, you have to know where the camera is and it's moving and that kind of stuff. But yeah.
0: Yeah. I remember. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a real skill. It really is. Go ahead. No, Rich. I was just going to say, that's exactly right. Television is like a training program um, <laughs> with all the technical <laughs> stuff. And it's kind of hard to shift because movies, there's sometimes a little more freedom, even though it's generally the same idea. It's a little different than television because it's so precise. And well, I guess it depends on the show and the style, but you know, it's, it's, you just, get really well trained and it's like a machine and you're just like a robot in one sense. And then, like you said, both sides of the brain and then you're being creative with the other stuff, but just to be able to have it second nature um, is what it becomes. Right. Wouldn't you say Mindy? It's like just there.
1: Yeah. It's, it's like, you know, when we first, Well, most people don't learn a stick shift nowadays, Mm -hmm. but it takes a little bit of time, but eventually you just do it automatically.
2: The other thing about television is that you're doing so many pages per day. Mm -hmm. And that's the difference between what you're doing on a film. On a film, you may be shooting two pages a day, and that's a big day. Mm -hmm. Whereas on a television show, you're doing six to eight. Mm -hmm. And it's very, very... I I think that people don't understand just how hard it is because you're, you're moving so quickly. And I always say... Five minutes minutes an hour on a 12-hour day is a full extra hour of shooting. So I have, I'm much more, I I know how some directors will go in and read the scene before, you know, you you launch into it. I just hit the ground. I'm just like, you stand here, you stand here, you stand here, and let's go and see what happens. Because every five minutes you save, you're, that over a 12-hour day is adding up to a full extra hour of shooting. And I think that um, what you're, What you're hampered by when you have an actor who can't hit their marks or an actor who can't remember their lines or, or, you know, is constantly um, um, uh, freezing up and asking for a line is those little tiny bits of time add up during the day. And that puts you further and further behind. Hmm. And you just don't have the luxury to kind of say, oh, we'll come back tomorrow and finish it because <laughs> you have a whole another eight pages to do the next day. And so television acting is so precise. I remember you both being very, very technical actors, though. Uh, <laughs> oh, so, Rachel, okay. it, may, <laughs> it may have been your first show, but you just instinctively knew how to do it then because you were you were a total pro, as I remember. And, and, and Melinda Thanks. was just always like... Um, uh, there wasn't even uh, always a need for a second tape because she would nail it on the first. Mm.
1: <laughs> That's the um, perfectionist, over prepared um, version of me. I I was I was very rarely on the blooper reel I, because I always thought that that was time is money, you know. That and I know that to a fault that every time you go. In fact, if I if I ever did um, go up on a line it was just the most awful feeling. I mean, once every once a month or something that could happen, but I felt terrible when that would happen. So it was just, just ingrained in me. (laughs) Um, in this episode, can I ask your guys opinion of the, um, swingers party storyline? Yeah. I texted with Kelly last night. Um, I asked her what she thought about the swingers party and, uh, she said, oh my gosh, when she first read the script that she didn't know how to make it work and that she thought it was so out of character and knowing Kelly, she, she's very much stands up for her stuff. She said there was abundant discussion with Josh and, um, and then I watched it and, well, first of all, you were talking about risky business. I noticed that the music almost had this kind of <sighs> risky business, you know, when you were cutting to the eyes up close um, mm-hmm. and that it had that – I was like, what does this music remind me of? Something 80s. And it sounded to mm-hmm. me like risky business, like that that feeling. And there was just kind of a very awkward, uncomfortable, ew factor to <sighs> that whole storyline. What did you think?
2: Well, I think that the the inspiration, if I'm not mistaken – for that whole storyline was the ice storm was a movie that was Mm. popular either right before, um, the OC or thereabouts. I can't remember when the ice storm came out, but I know that that was the, the idea of it. Certainly that whole sequence was very, uh, racy, you know, in terms of what you would expect on a, on a teenage, uh, (laughs) drama, but, um, yeah, the music, I can't remember what the music was that I used there, but I was always trying to think in terms of using music for the adults that was different than the kids. You know, I was always trying to find music that would play the adult scenes with a different flavor than, uh, and I oftentimes was was hearkening back to, I know later in season one, there's some stuff that's taken from Breakfast at Tiffany's. Mm. Uh, I was always taking music to to. Josh and Stephanie and saying, well, for the adults, it, it would be interesting to to play something that they would have heard at a different period of time. And uh, I, I, um, I don't know exactly what the music cues are on this episode. I'd have to go back and look, but I know that there was a very, there was a very um, um, definite decision to make the music at the swingers party, very distinct from the music at um the um, Cohen House, um, yeah. Cohen House, very different from the music that was at the at the hotel. Oh, okay. So that each time you cut from party to party, the music itself would be telling you that you're in a different place and in a different kind of vibe. The the, the music at the swingers party was definitely had much more of that kind of um, <laughs> uh, chill out uh, lounge feeling yeah, about it. You know, it was
1: kind of it yeah. almost reminded me of the the lobby of the Standard Hotel.
2: For
1: some yes. reason, <laughs> but th- but then well, just but then just ride by. Gem plays while um, Sandy is flirting with um, some other woman. But but I, you know, I, I thought it was kind of cute. You know, it, um, I said to Kelly, I said, you know what? At least it was spicy, and you guys, the characters are having fun, and you don't really see these storylines, and and ultimately. Sandy saved the day and he was very chivalrous and he played along with her. And then he was like, come on, honey. And I just love how they get over their things with a lot of compassion and love and all that.
2: And there was never any real chance that they were going to go off with other people. That was well. I didn't know. I didn't
0: know what was going to happen, and I was like, "Are they really going to do this?" Like, I boy, you
2: really don't remember you know, the show, do you, not <laughs> you? At all.
0: Norman? I'm not lying. I really like. I'm watching these things for the first time. Like, I've never experienced any of it. But I was really waiting. I was like, "Oh my god, who are they going to get?" Who are they gonna be paired with? Are they gonna have it? yeah, I was very up for (laughs) clams.
2: Well, I did not remember that Anna goes back to the Uh, Cohen house. Like that was a total surprise to me. And
0: let me tell you, I was pissed. Like I watching it, (laughs) I was jealous. Uh, I was like, you little sneaky fuckhead. (laughs)
2: <laughs>
0: no, I was like, really like, I got jealous watching. And I'm like, oh my God, you're yeah. not Summer. Like um, This is not your life. Like, calm down. But,
2: that, <laughs> that triangle was so well crafted on the show. I love that whole uh, Seth, Summer, Anna triangle throughout season one. I thought that really had a lot of, um, there, there was another musical choice I made. I can't remember which episode it was in, but uh, there were two versions of the same song, um, which is a song called Caravan. And I would play one orchestration of it for Anna and one orchestration of it for uh, Summer. Mm. So it was, uh, I I can't remember what episode it is, but it might be in one of the ones that's coming up soon. Where every time he would bounce back and forth between uh, Anna and Summer, there would be a completely different orchestration of the song. (laughs) And uh, that was fun to do stuff like that, because I would take those things to... To Josh and say, what do you think of this? Would, this? would this work for you if we always played this version with uh, whenever we saw Summer and we play this version whenever we see Anna? And so there's a lot of real eclectic musical choices. It wasn't all just um, uh, new bands. It was pulling things. Uh, when I did my um, uh, ep- the episode that I um, um, first directed, uh, The Risky Business, we actually got the Risky Business score and used wow. the Risky Business score in the episode so it was it was extremely um, exciting to be able to to think outside the box with those kinds of things and use music to tell the story so I'm glad you picked up on that music in the swing the swingers party because uh I almost said the swingles party I knew, like a swingles I almost said the Swingers party well, where. The-
1: you you are you are explaining to us the perfect example of how your creativity, your artistry lended to this audio visual experience that the that our fans love so much. And mm-hmm. I and that's why it's so important that you come on the show and explain these things because we know that they're there and it's such a magical emotional ride that we take the audience on, but I but having it explained is such a gift.
2: Yeah, I always say a well-directed episode of television is if you can turn down the sound and track all the emotional beats of the story. You may not track all the plot points or all the exposition, but you'll understand the emotions. You'll understand what the emotional line of the story is. And I certainly think that's true with almost every episode of The O.C. And that's one of the things that I think Josh writes to a visual style. There's 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 a real visual component to the show that you don't see on a lot of other shows. A lot of other shows where there's just a lot of talk, oftentimes will... Um, uh, play well if you're hearing it all, but not necessarily if you turn down the sound. But if you turn down the sound on any episode of The O.C., you can track who likes who, who's upset with who, yeah. uh, who, who is in love with who. Um, and, and that's certainly true on this episode that we're talking about. If you turn down the sound on this episode, you understand the parties you're at. You understand the relationship of the characters to one another. You understand the things that they're worried about, the things that they're upset with. The, the the swingers party the way that it's structured so that it gets tighter and tighter and tighter the way that you are tracking um, uh, the the various ladies at the party um, uh, Summer and, and Anna and, and Marissa. Uh, Just just how they're positioned in the frame, just even the fact that you see Summer sitting with the guy on the balcony at the party and you don't even see his face. It's just you're you're just looking at the back of his head and it doesn't matter because it's only about what Summer's feeling at that point. All of those decisions that Michael Fresco made as the director were were quite extraordinary, I think, in terms of, of telling the story visually such that it, it passes my test. If you can turn down the sound and and watch it and really feel the story, then it's, in my mind, it's a well-directed episode.
0: Yeah, the whole ending sequence of this episode in particular, you know, the whole of uh, Kirsten walking into Sandy in the bedroom, you know, hands her his watch, she has her nighting on that thing. And then Seth and Anna making out. Summer kisses the Tulsa dude. And sad that he's not Seth Cohen. She even says it. And then, of course, the monumental moment. That was my personal favorite. And I think a lot of other people's favorite was just the kiss followed by the thank you in response to Ryan saying, I love you back. (laughs) which was well played on Marissa's end. I have there is to say. there
2: is something funny about that sequence. I, I was uh, always trying to, I shot a lot of the, um, of the footage of uh, Newport Beach from the air. Mm-hmm. We took a helicopter out. Of course, the day we took the helicopter out there, it was very cloudy. <laughs> so you'll probably notice that Newport Beach looks like it's very gray throughout the run of the show. <laughs> but I didn't have any night footage and I really wanted to have a, a night nice shot up above the Four Seasons Hotel down in Newport Beach. And and they were telling me like, there's just no way you can get that. And so we we ended up using uh, stock footage that we had from Fastlane. Oh. So actually there's this shot as, as Ryan is driving to the Four Seasons Hotel, there's this shot you see of the uh, of the Tower Hotel on Sunset Boulevard. It's not <laughs> in Newport Beach at all. It's just a random shot of the Tower Hotel because we needed some hotel shot. And they kept sending me these stock footage shots of um, just the front of hotels. I was like, no, no, it's got to be something from the air. It's got to be something that's really expansive and looks really beautiful. And so there's this aerial shot over the top of the Tower Hotel that um, um, it's it's wrong.
1: It, it's, <laughs> it's wrong. Did we build okay. the set of the penthouse or? Yeah, that was a did? set. Okay. That
2: was, I remember uh, it was a huge set. Mm-hmm. And it was one of the reasons why that Oliver storyline went on for several episodes was because they had to justify the cost of that set. Oh, how funny. Right. It was quite a large set. Yeah, how funny.
0: Well, I mean, this was just such an awesome episode. I mean, you did such an amazing job editing it. And it's just really oh, fun to revisit it and talk about it. yeah we have quiz questions for you to answer let's see if you can answer these what are marissa's new york new york new york it's ny and i'm like new york what are marissa's (laughs) new year's resolutions i'll give you a hint there's only one that is noted
2: i don't remember i'm sorry i wouldn't have either (gasps) you're with me now to join friendster (laughs) it wasn't that to
0: go on trl (laughs) uh eat more
1: vegetables
2: Uh, Would never have gotten that, so it's good I didn't
1: guess. (laughs) Okay, um, what are Kirsten and Sandy's original New Year's plans?
2: Uh, To eat at the
1: arches. Yes. Right, and then watch a ball drop, the the ball drop. The ball drop.
0: (laughs) Okay, and then
1: well, I, decided,
2: I decided not to go there. <laughs>
0: well, we, <don't laughs> <just> go there. <laughs> we can't help ourselves. Um, what is Marissa drinking at Oliver's?
2: Uh, ginger ale? No. Mo- uh, uh, do you want to
0: try another? You have another guest?
2: Uh, club soda?
0: A virgin mojito. He kept oh, saying virgin it.
2: mojito. Mojito. Ooh. Mojito. Mojito. Yeah. mojito. <laughs> Uh, I thought he was just tempting her with mojitos. I didn't remember that she actually had a virgin mojito.
0: Yes, he made it. Yep. Yep. Yep, yep. Don't worry. I would not have gotten a single one right. And I was impressed that you knew it was dinner at the Arches. <laughs> dinner at the Arches,
1: which is a real restaurant. Yes.
2: That was another funny scene, the whole car talking back to them, because that was very new then, cars <laughs> talking back to you. Like, uh, the GPS lady. which way to go. Yes,
1: yes. I, I don't that. want to argue yeah. with the GPS lady. No, that was a very funny yeah. one. Also, that Peter, in um, he walks in, on a, in a, on a threesome in his bedroom. And which repeats a, exactly. A
2: call back to yeah, it's a call right. back to the, the pilot. pilot. Yeah. Right. Wait, yeah. you right.
0: also wrote there was a blooper. The the door wouldn't open when Ryan's Oh, there's a f- for the kiss
1: when he runs to the door. There's a famous blooper in the slow mo as Ben runs to the door. His his the POV of the door to the penthouse. It didn't open, right. and he slams into it and kind of dramatically falls. <laughs> I remember. It didn't. That. It yeah, didn't open. Are-
2: <laughs> I have a question for you guys. Do you know where they shot that hotel lobby sequence? No. No. (laughs) Where? At the... At the Marriott hotel that was right next to the studio. So I was going to say Marriott exactly, because, but. <laughs> it was not exactly the Four Seasons. Nope. It was,
1: uh, Marriott,
0: randomly, so. not even on the beach nice. in Manhattan. Yeah.
2: It was like the Marriott and Manhattan Beach uh, near the studio. <laughs> How yes. funny. Was, right. oh,
0: little tidbit. Yeah. I like that little
1: fun fact. Yeah. Thanks for
2: mm-hmm. that. Yeah. I, I could come up with a whole bunch of questions that you guys wouldn't be able to answer. So.
1: Norman is a wealth, a wealth, a wealth of information. Absolutely. He's a film historian as well, as far as I'm concerned. So, if we And he's also my my resource, if I ever have a question. He, he You and Matt, I've asked questions of for the um, for our podcast, and I appreciate
2: it. <laughs> anyway, I can help you guys. Let me know because it's fun. And it's, it's fun to revisit this period of time of my life.
1: One more, more thing that I wanted to um, make note of. David Whaley Foundation in honor of your late husband that um, helps artists. Do you want to talk about uh-huh. that really quick, because I think it's an important thing. Yeah, I thing. just,
2: uh, I appreciate that. appreciate you bringing it up. Yeah, uh, the David Whaley Foundation is 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 just to support artists. It's uh, David felt a real passion for the arts, and he felt a real passion for for uh, uh, buying the work of others, and, and he also felt a real passion for teaching. And so when he passed away, I was just looking for a way to um, uh, give honor to his life, and I felt the best way I could do that was just to create something that would continue to support the things that were important to him. And so we've given out 11 grants so far to various artists. We've given out some, uh, uh, uh grants to, uh, artist teachers because a lot of artists support themselves by teaching. And so we, we've given grants to support, uh, uh, uh teachers so that they can just take some time off to paint or whatever they want to do. And, uh, also to some mid century, um, not mid century, um, mid career artists who just maybe haven't gotten the recognition that they, that they have. And and now we're moving more into supporting, um, uh, students and and, and creating some scholarships. So it's just been a way for me to kind of, uh, give real honor to his life because he was the best person I ever knew. And, you know, I'm just grateful that I can, uh, Again, uh, pay it forward because uh, that's that's what he would want. So I appreciate you bringing that up. Thank you. Yes, Bill, yeah. well,
1: you are an example of a beautiful human being, and Absolutely. we are so in debt to you because you made our experience that much more rich.
0: Shall we listen to some voicemails, Mindy?
4: We shall, Miss Bilson. <laughs> what a rep. <laughs> Hi, my name is Alex. I live in New York City. I'm a huge OC fan. I was actually class of 06, and I was watching this along with the show as I was in high school. I had a huge, huge Seth Cohen crush. Um, all the bands at the beat shop. I loved those bands and I was also seeing them. Sadly, I had a friend a lot like Marissa. Um, anyway, it was just very near and dear to my life experience and loved it. So In a happy accident, I actually started rewatching it for the first time right when you guys started this podcast. And I'm loving this podcast. You guys are doing amazing. So my question is, in my rewatch, I have been noticing how much the business has changed and that nowadays I feel like so many different body types are represented on TV. And it wasn't that way back when you guys were shooting. And I'm wondering if you guys felt any pressure to to be super thin and to look a certain way and maybe you two didn't because I'm I'm kind of willing to bet you guys have kind of naturally slender frames but I'm wondering if there was any of that going around on set or in the culture or kind of what you guys remember about that and how you feel like the business has changed since
1: <laughs> Interesting question. First of all, I love that she's so relate. I mean, yes, the OC is so relatable to everyone. We all know somebody in real life that were that were similar to characters on the show. Um, she, I think she's correct, um, Rachel. Yeah, correct me if I'm wrong. That I mean, I come from a slim family, but oh. look, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't aware of our, you know, this vessel so to speak is our commodity. And yes, there's absolutely, I know for sure that producers, when they hire you, it's hopefully for your acting skills. And, but they also, uh, is the, you know, physically, it's the character that they Im- imagine and there, there definitely is pressure to maintain a certain thing, aesthetic that, Um, I was hired for, I guess, you know, do you, do I think,
0: but I think that there is truth to how things have changed and there's just more, you know, aware of body positive things and everything, which I think is great. Uh, Yeah. I mean, that definitely was the case back in the day. And I've heard stories of people where they're like, you need to lose 10 pounds or whatever it is. And and I'm just so happy that that has changed um, Mm. because it's so unhealthy. And, and, For me, when we were doing the OC, I was so young that my mental state was way more like, I didn't think about that as much. Uh, But I am, I guess I'm fortunate that I'm a tiny person, but I'm, I'm, I'm I'm child size. It's a little embarrassing just because uh, height and whatnot. But, uh, you know, I just think the emphasis on that uh, is, is, I'm happy that it's changed.
1: <laughs> I'll just say that. Well, I, I do remember kind of having, admittedly, a freak out when I opened the script and it says Julie's in a bikini and she's running to save uh, Caleb. And I was like, what? What? no, the girls uh, – Rachel and Misha can be in bikinis, not me, but yeah, there's a little vanity in that. And I think the other thing is, you know, they've always said that, oh, by the time you're 48, 38, 48, your career's over. And I think I've done a lot of personal work on it's like, nope, this is me, 52, mm-hmm. hire me, not whatever, or in, and having a good attitude about just being who I am in, in the moment, you know, it's mm-hmm. not, I don't feel, um, I do things now for my health and my, and my, mind, um, you know, eating right, exercising. It's just what makes me feel, feel good. So, and if I feel good, I think I look good. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. So good question. Yeah. But yes, I think we embrace all body types now. (laughs) Thank you for your question.
3: (laughs) Hi, my name's Rebecca and I'm from Toronto, Canada, and I have a couple of questions for you. Um, my first question is, do you ever feel self-conscious when you're in front of the camera? And if so, how do you overcome those feelings of self-consciousness? And my second question is, do you have any tips for how to be a good actor? Thank
0: you so much. Oh, these are tough ones. <laughs>
1: <laughs> We're burying our souls. Burying
0: our souls. Um, First of all, shout out to Toronto. I have spent a lot. Of, oh, well, you have too, Mindy.
1: Oh, boy. Yeah. You're very familiar Ooh. with
0: Toronto. <laughs> Little Timmy's. Thank you T-town. for calling. <laughs>
1: Timmy Nolan, Timmy Nolan, What? Isn't that the coffee Tim Hortons, place? Tim Hortons. Tim Hortons. God, what am I thinking? Timmy Nolans it's been a while. The,
0: the bar in Toluca Lake.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Whoops.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. a will off track here. Um, gosh, self-conscious in front of the camera. I mean, yeah. Well, you were just talking about it, Mindy. Even like running in a bikini or whatever. Like these are things yeah. that you think about. Just, uh, I mean, sex scenes are always a little awkward um
1: there's I think there's there's a bravery thing at some point being self-conscious is a not a good thing for an actor we I mean if you can somehow if if that comes up to believe is brave and you've got to be able to relax um that's it's definitely not a a positive thing to be self-conscious right it yes. kind of can impede the acting, the performance. I would, I would think, right?
0: Yeah. And what did she? Did she ask tips on being a good actor? Was that but right? Good actor.
1: I think we touched quite a bit on that. I mean, I think really, honestly, my one of my my first tips, because especially if you're a guest star or a co-star and you're not a series regular, where everyone's really comfortable, but if you're a guest, there's a lot of nerves. You're, you know. You might not know everybody, and that can be kind of uncomfortable. Know your dialogue like the <laughs> ABCs. Know it backwards and forwards. You just heard Norman say that going up on your dialogue, minutes can turn into hours. And if you just know it so well and be overprepared that you're never that person that um, wasted time on set because you couldn't get your dialogue. That's well, my first thought.
0: Yeah, and also I think a big thing, which is what I was told when I started out, was listen listen to the other actor, like really hear what they're saying. And that goes in hand with what you're saying, Mindy, because if you already know what you have to say, you know, you have it down, you're able and capable to actually listen and be present in the scene. I think that's probably the first thing that I was told and and I try to go with it always.
1: I agree. Listen and know your dialogue. <laughs> and thank you for your <laughs> questions. And thank you. Well, this was such a pleasure um norman you know maybe josh stephanie norman matt the directors they just know so many details mm-hmm. about our show and they all contributed so much to yes. the experience that is the oc and i really appreciate their time and i just love hearing these conversations and reconnecting with everybody
0: me so. too it's been so much fun and thank you everyone for listening to our little podcast show Follow, rate, and review. Welcome to the OC Bitches wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you like to watch us, check it out on YouTube. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you very much. And bye. (laughs) Till next time.
4: (laughs) Goodbye. See you next week. Close your eyes.
0: It's time to discover what starting and growing your own business feels like. Whether your business is bed sheets or skincare,
4: Shopify is with you every step of the way. Now, open your eyes. This is possibility. Powered by Shopify. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash podcast 22. Shopify.com slash podcast 22. Hi everyone,
3: it's Rabia Chaudry And
1: I'm Ellen Marsh
3: And we have a new podcast called Rabia and Ellen Solve Solve the Case case. As you know, I am a very smart lawyer
1: You are, you're so well respected in the entire world You know everything Thank you so much And as you know, I'm a famous Broadway star Gorgeous, I sing like a nightingale
3: Well, at least that's what your mom says Just kidding. This is Ellen Marsh and And I'm Roddy. But we are teaming up to bring you a show like you have never heard before.
1: True crime meets talk show. Nobody's done it. We're going to do it. We're going to do the impossible. And it's the two things that I love.
3: Ellen, I think you like it too. What? True crime and talking? Yeah. I'm there. Every other week, we will have a guest talking about whatever true crime case they are obsessed with. We have a list, everything from. The Lacey Peterson murder.
1: Yeah, some of the most famous cases you've ever heard of. Obviously, like John JonBenet Ramsey, the West Memphis Three.
3: Chris Watts, Khalif
1: Browder. Elisa Lam, Madeline
3: McCain. Sandra Bland, the Springfield Three. The list goes on and on. But they are all cases that you know, and we are going to dive in deep with someone else and just talk about them.
0: No. No. We're going to solve the case, Ellen.
3: That's right. We're going to solve the case. So subscribe to Rabia and Ellen Solve the Case wherever you get your podcasts.